Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Campus Online. What's up, everybody? <laughs> Pastor Olin up here picking on my glasses, man. What's up with that? When I turned 42 a few years ago, uh, God realized that I needed retinal anointing when I was reading. I told Lake Norman, I can still see a tick on a dog's back at 100 yards, but up close, I need some glasses. I can't see. Uh, I do print my stuff out in 14 font, which typically I can see. But I thought for all of our safety, I would wear my glasses anyway, <laughs> just to be sure. Well, hey, let's give it up for our people watching online. Hello, online. And I'm about to do the scariest thing that is always the scariest thing for me at Central Campus. I'm going to read the abbreviations of states and hope I get the states right. So we have North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Georgia, Florida. I like the ones they write out because they know I'll probably get it wrong. Illinois, not Illinois, Illinois, Maine, Michigan, and New Hampshire. So welcome, everybody. So glad y'all are here with us today. My name is Michael Singer, and I'm the pastor at our Lake Norman campus. However, uh, Central Campus is my home, my old stomping grounds. I've been at Freedom House since Freedom House was in diapers, so I've been around for a long time. Probably the most strange thing for me when I come back to Central Campus is when I look out and see everybody, I don't know about 95% of y'all, and that is odd for me because I used to at least know most everybody by face, a lot of people by name, and so I love coming, love seeing the new faces. Thank you for being here today. Uh, we're going to get into this message, but before we do, I want you to do something. I want you to repeat something after me and say it loud, like, don't make me come out there and don't make me go, all right, let's try it again, class. Just be loud. Act like you're hollering at your kid across the street because the car is coming, so just yell. Say this. Say, God, I know you're here, and I am here, so will you speak to me? All right, in our app, there's a place where you can take notes. It says messages down at the bottom, uh, so if you have the app, great thing to take notes, and I'm not telling you to take notes just because I'm going to say some stuff, and you need to write down what comes on the screen, but there might be something that God tells you either through some of the things I'm going to focus on. Or there might be something totally I don't even hit. It's just something I read, and God's like, mm, you need to take note of that. 
God will speak to every one of us. Here's the thing about God. He can talk to all of us at one time. He don't have no problem with that. I can't do that, but he can. He's the ultimate multitasker, uh, and he will speak to you. So let's just open our hearts up and let him speak to us. This summer's been fun because we've been going through books of the Bible. And so in June, we went through Romans. In July, we did James. Uh, and now we're in John. If y'all enjoy, just make some noise if you've been enjoying going through the books of the Bible. Hopefully, it's made it simple to go, hey, I'm going to go in my church and just read that book, you know, during the week when I'm not there on Sunday uh, and enjoy that book of the Bible. So we're going to look at John. And as we do, I just want to share a few little details about it. Not everything uh, about kind of setting John up, but John is one of the gospels. It's one of the four gospels, but it's very different than the other three gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what is referred to as the synoptic gospels. That's where we get the word like synonym. It means the same. So when you read those books, you'll see a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same miracles, uh, but I love it because you get a different vantage point. You know, if we all saw something, we would maybe all tell that story just a little bit differently from the way that we see that, maybe focus on different aspects of that story. So that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't, John doesn't hit all the stories they hit. Uh, some of the conversations that Jesus has in, the, in his stories are a little more lengthy, but I also love their difference in the way they start talking about Jesus. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all about the chronological beginning of this man, Jesus, as he's becoming a human being and being born on this earth. They love to tell that, and that's great stuff to know. John's a little different. He talks about how Jesus began and who Jesus was, but he talks about it from the very beginning, like way back in Genesis. When you open up John, he says something like, the word or the logos, the word was God, the word was with God, and the word came down and became flesh. In other words, he's talking about Jesus. He wants us to know out the gate, everything I'm about to say is worth nothing if we don't understand that Jesus was always God, was with God, and was sent by God to come be with us. He was wanting us to understand the deity of who Jesus was. And he actually focuses, in my opinion, when I read it, he focuses on that a lot more than what the other books of the Bible do. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see Jesus doing a lot of things, and you see the Holy Spirit working through Jesus. But when you get to John, John actually has Jesus giving us teaching moments about who the Holy Spirit is and making that connection to who the Holy Spirit is. John is a great book. If you're like, man, I don't know where to start reading the Bible. I don't read a lot. Just go to John. It is one of the best gospels because you will see beyond a shadow of a doubt how John reveals to us that Jesus is the only way to have access to God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke and all of them talk about the narrow road versus the wide road. Well, John reiterates that that narrow road is through Jesus. There is no other way. You either choose to believe that or not. It's not just for everybody. Even though God loves everybody, there's a particular way to get to who God is. So go and read John. It's a great book if you haven't been reading it all along. Now, I want to set up the, the chapter we're going to read today because we're going to look at John chapter 21. But I think it's important uh, before we look at that for me to give you an idea of when I read John chapter 21, I feel like there's this main point, this main theme in the entire 
book of John chapter 21. This entire chapter for me has a theme that's hit over and over again. And this is what I want you to walk out of here with. The theme of John 21 is that God is concerned with our completeness in him. God is concerned with our completeness in him. Externally, internally, God is trying to get our attention to say, I want you to be complete, not just in what you do or your abilities. I want you to be complete in me. But before we get to reading about this push to be complete in God, I want to briefly summarize John chapter 20 because I think there's some just some important things as we get into John chapter 21 that we need to understand. The funny part about the beginning of John chapter 20 is this is after Jesus is, is dead, he's been buried, he actually is raised from the dead already. They don't know that. But Peter and John are running to the tomb. And a funny little tidbit is John lets everybody know that he beat Peter and he got there first. Have no idea why he wanted to say he was a faster runner, but he had to let us know that. Mary Magdalene also sees that Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter and John head back home. Mary encounters Jesus right there at the tomb. And he says, hey, go tell my disciples. Go tell them that you've seen me, that I'm raised from the dead. So she goes and tells him, tells them and they're like, oh, okay, whatever. And then Jesus shows up. He actually shows up to them in, in John chapter 20 two times. The first time, Thomas wasn't there. So Jesus showed up again. But one, Jesus did something very important. Actually, two things. It says that Jesus breathed on the disciples that said, here's my Holy Spirit. And then he gave them their instructions, their marching orders. Hey, guys. You've been following me all this time. I know that I'm gone and you might be like, well, what do we do now? I don't know. Let's just go back home. Let's hide because people are going to try to kill us. I'm telling you what your next steps are. And he tells them, God told me what I needed to do. And now I give you that same instruction to go out and proclaim the good news. Tell people about my life, my death, my resurrection. So they themselves can know God. He makes it plain. And then we get to the beginning of John chapter 21. And here's what it says in the first seven verses. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. So now we're gonna hear the story of how he showed up to them. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Now, a little side note. I didn't notice this a few weeks ago, but I noticed it just the other day. I decided to count how many disciples are mentioned here. There are seven disciples that are mentioned here. Well, in the Bible, numbers are extremely important and they have significance. Guess what the number seven means in the Bible? Completeness, huh? Wonder if this chapter wants to tell us anything about completeness. There's seven disciples. Seven means completeness. Let's keep on going. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. He, he, that used to be his career. That was a job. He knew about fishing. I'm going to go fishing. The other disciple said to him, we are going with you also. Now, these are disciples after my own heart because I would have been like, yeah, let's go fishing. I love to fish. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. 
Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. John liked to talk very highly of himself. This is John. He said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, I love this story and what's going on. But the thing I like about what happens in this moment is this moment echoes back to a time in the life of Simon Peter and some of the other disciples. Actually, the story is extremely familiar. When you look back at Luke chapter 5, it expounds this story. And here's what happens. Jesus is on the scene. He's been doing miracles. People have seen him. People know him. They've heard he might be the one to come. He has crowds of people that are following him around. And he gets to this lake, and he's like, man, the people are crowding in, but I, want to, I need to teach them, but I can't just stand against the shore. I need to get out in a boat. And so he looks over, and he sees a couple boats. The disciples had been fishing, and they were cleaning their nets. And so he walks over, and says, Simon Peter, will you take me out in your boat? Sure. Jesus goes out. And if you don't know something about water, this is how brilliant Jesus is. Water has great acoustic value. Like, you can hear very well when you're out on water. So he goes out, teaches and then he looks at Simon Peter, and he says, hey, man, why don't you cast your net into the water over here? And Simon Peter's like, oh, these silly carpenters. They don't know what, anything about fishing. He said, I'm a fisherman. We've been out here all night, man. We ain't caught nothing. But then he said, you know what? Because you asked me to, I'll do it. And they saw this miracle where the same place they had fished and caught nothing, they caught more fish than they could ever bring in. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? I wonder why in the world Jesus took this moment all the way at the end, the last time they would see him, to do the same miracle that had been done when they first met and encountered him. You see, I think God desires us to be complete so much that sometimes God will remind us in order to solidify what he has revealed to us. God will sometime do something again and again to remind us of who he is so that that solidifies on who he's already revealed to us. The disciples had walked with Jesus and seen many wonders and seen many things about who he was. And still at the end, he was having to do something the exact same that he had done before to get them to know, hey, look. I need to solidify that I am who I said I am. And I need you to go out and be reminded and do that based off of what I've solidified in you. And he echoed back to that moment where they first said, I will follow you. And they got to see all that he did. What is it in our life that God is trying to remind us of? Has God been reminding us of some things and saying, hey, you need to let go of that relationship? Here's another reminder because I need to solidify something in you. Is God telling us, I'm reminding you of this because it's time to let that job go. You need to move on from that job. Maybe God has been doing things to remind us that, hey, your attitude is a little stank. You need to calm down and, and listen to that scripture that says, be slow to speak, quick to listen, because when you talk, you're all negative and, and get upset. Maybe I need to remind you of this. Maybe we're doing that thing where we've We've doing something that doesn't align with God's best and we feel that same terrible shame and guilt and everything after it's over. We're like, oh, I wish I would have done this. And God is trying to remind us to say, I'm revealing to you that I am all you need. You don't need to run to that. You don't need to go to that scapegoat. I am everything you need and I can make you complete. I need to remind you of that because I got to solidify on who I've revealed that I am. We're launching life groups today. 
And Jalea and I lead our premarital life group. And I just want to tell you, coming to Sunday service is very important and needed. So kudos to you for being here. This is huge. But Sunday service, a lot of times, is just a spark that gets the fire going. It's life groups that keep the logs going on the fire so you remain and can keep burning in whatever area of your life and doing what God has called us to do. It is that thing that helps us be consistent. It's the place where we find accountability. If you come to Freedom House and you say, I'll be coming, but I don't know nobody. Well, the only question I have is, have you done something other than come in the auditorium and sit down? Have you served? Have you gotten involved with a life group? I, my role here at the church as one of the pastors and what I do I get to see people's lives and see when they're going through tough things. And there's always a difference between the people that are going through something tough and have no one around them versus the people that are going through something tough and have someone around them. And a lot of people in Charlotte don't have family in Charlotte. So you know what becomes family? Those life groups. Those people they get to know. Those people that they find out, oh, you know what? You're going through the same thing I am. How about we go through life and encourage and iron sharpen iron? We help each other walk through this. So Jelaine and I lead the premarital life group after I gave that big plug for life groups. You need to do it. It's my greatest thing. And it's eight weeks. And if you are engaged or you're thinking about marriage, that we need to see you in that life group, so sign up after service. We take eight weeks. The first week, we just hear about the couples. Tell us how you met. Tell us kind of how you got from where you met to where you're thinking about getting married or already engaged. Do you know what no couple has ever said? No couples come in and say, you know what? I hate him and she hates me. I hate him and he hates me. And we hate, hate each other so much we're going to get married. <laughs> Nobody says that. You know what we hear? We hear these juicy stories of, oh, man, we talked for hours. It was like 17 hours and we just couldn't stop talking. And they shared everything with me and I felt so comfortable to be open. And I just stared in their eyes and it's just like me. You just hear like a lullaby in the back. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. You don't want that. But it's like this lullaby playing in the background with that violin just playing behind them. And it's this most beautiful story. And then when we get done, we tell them, there's a reason why we had you share that story. Because one day when you're married, you're going to look at your spouse and go, really, God? Is this, like, is this legit? Like, did, like, did I miss something? Maybe not to that extent, but I'll tell you this. You'll at least be frustrated at times. I love my wife. Me and Jalay, I love our marriage. I love the vibe of our marriage, but we frustrate each other and we challenge each other and that happens in marriage. So we tell these couples, sometimes you need to be reminded. You need to be reminded what you saw in them because when the feeling of the moment in that rut of life and you're just tired of it, it's going to make you feel like, why did I do this? And God's going to go, I'm reminding you why you did it so that I can reveal to you and solidify that revelation of why you marry that person. And now that you're in a marriage, it's a covenant. And you know what you're called to, baby boy, baby girl? As a husband, you're called to be a husband no matter what she's doing. As a wife, you're called to be the wife I called you to be no matter what he's doing. And sometimes that revelation sinks in and you go, you know what? I'm gonna fight for this thing and I'm gonna do this. All right, this isn't a marriage talk, so let's keep going. All right, let's pick up in John. We're going to read the second half of 7b and see what's happening in this story. So remember, John, the one whom Jesus loved, just said, that's Jesus. Here's the response. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. And we're going to talk about that a little more in a minute, but the picture I get here is Forrest Gump. 
You remember Forrest Gump when Lieutenant Dan comes out on the end of that pier and Forrest Gump just hauls off that boat and the boat's still going? This is what it seems like to me that Peter's doing. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, so around 100 yards, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Now, I just want to tell you a side note. For me, there's two things about Jesus, Jesus' characteristics and who he is that I love in this statement. First of all, he is a brilliant camping partner. When you're out doing stuff, he's got food cooking and the fire hot. And if you've ever been camping, there is no greater joy than coming back and somebody having food ready. The other thing I love about him is he understands the beauty and the greatness of eating fresh fish. He had fish on, but he said, y'all go get some of those fish because you know when it's fresh, it is the best. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. That's a good day fishing if you weren't aware. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask, who are you knowing that it was the Lord? This is like a brilliant moment for these guys because they asked some dumb stuff throughout. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he had raised from the dead. Two times in John 20, the third time. You know what I love about that statement? This whole chapter, I said, is oozing of completeness. The number seven means completeness, but also the number three is a version of completeness. Very interesting. Not going to live on that because let's get to this whole outer garment thing. Who in the world puts on clothes to jump into the water? I know when I go swimming, I at least take my shirt off. And that's about all anybody wants me to show. Actually, I don't want to see that. But it's odd that Peter takes his outer garment, puts it on, and jumps in the water. Now, when I read this, I was like, maybe they did things different back then. I don't know. I've heard, heard people say that, okay, maybe he put on his outer garment because he was about to go and was going to be in the presence of Jesus, who was his rabbi and his teacher, and he wanted to just be respectful and honoring. Very well could have been that. I kind of want to massage a different thought today, because in the midst of it maybe being an opportunity to honor his teacher, his rabbi, when I read about Peter leading up to this point, Peter wasn't a guy that stopped to consider things. He just did things. Like Peter was the guy that would, should, should have just jumped off like Forrest Gump did because that was kind of, that was his MO. That was what he did. So why in the world did he take the time to put on this outer garment that he had taken off to just jump in and go see Jesus, who he was obviously excited to see? Before I get to the garment, I want to set a little, a little backbone to this with a couple thoughts about Peter from earlier in John. John chapter 1 we hear about when Jesus first meets Simon Peter. And the way it happened was that John the Baptist, who was the one that was telling everybody, hey, the Messiah is coming, the one who's gonna save the world is coming. He was preparing the way. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he knew it was him. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was the son of God. He knew he was the one that the Israelites, the Jews had been waiting for as their savior. One day, John the Baptist is sitting on the road, and he sees Jesus walk by, and he's got a couple of his disciples with him. And he's like, hey, guys, that right there, that's the Son of God. 
That's the Messiah. That's the Lamb of God. That's the one we've been waiting for. And it says those two disciples ran off and start, started following Jesus, just walking behind him real awkwardly to the point where Jesus walked, turned around and was like, what are y'all doing following me? But one of those guys was a guy named Andrew. Andrew was the brother of Simon Peter. Andrew goes home and is like, hey, we found him. He's here. We found the Messiah. And so Simon Peter's like, let's go. They went and saw him and it says, when Simon Peter walked in the presence of Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, hello, Simon, son of Jonah. He said, your name is now going to be Cephas. Cephas means the stone. Now for us in our day and age, when we think of stones, we might think of like, oh, I got pretty stones around my bedding at the house. I don't think we have the same connotation of stone that they had because stones had a lot more depth and meaning for them. Stones for them created the foundation and major structural part that would help houses stand and make them strong. Matter of fact, the Bible calls Jesus the chief corner stone, meaning that he is the strongest part of the foundation that allows whatever to stand on, that it will stand if it's on him. Stones were also used in sacrifices. Stones were also used in the Old Testament as memories of what God had done. Because what would happen is God would do something for the children of Israel. They would build a pile of stones. That way, the next day they're walking by Flow Avenue, they're like, oh, I remember when God showed up here. I remember what he did. So stones pointed to who God was. So when he called Peter stone, that was extremely significant. If Peter understood what that word meant, you could only imagine like, oh my gosh. He called me like stone. And we see Peter pretty much operate like that while he's walking with Jesus. He's the guy that's like, oh, you ain't coming at Jesus, I'll cut your ear off. And he just cuts somebody's ear off. He's the guy that when Jesus is walking on the water and everybody's scared to walk out, Peter just, boom, gets out of the boat. And he's like, I'm gonna walk to you, Jesus. He's the guy that when Jesus says, who do men say I am? And they start rattling off stuff. And Peter says, you're the son of the living God. He's like, you're right. You're dead right. He's the guy that said, I don't care what all these other jokers do. I'm with you. I got your back. I'm always here. He's the one the other disciples followed. You see it at the beginning of the text. He went fishing. What did they do? Oh, if Peter's going fishing, we'll just go fishing. So you see Peter operating in this stone-like mentality. He is a rock. He's strong. But then you get to John chapter 13. And Jesus tells the disciples, hey, look, y'all are all going to scatter and leave me as I go to die. And Peter, being the rock, the stone, he's like, you must be talking to them. You ain't talking to me. I don't care what they do. I'm never going to leave your side. Remember, I'm Cephas. I'm stone. I'm rock. I'm hardcore. I'm here to the end. And Jesus looks at him, probably shook his head. and is just like, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, this guy's lost his mind. And what does he do? He denies him three times. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but here's what I know about Peter. Peter's a human just like you and me. You think Peter's wrestling with the fact that he denied Jesus three times? Probably what felt like the worst thing you could do. He was called Peter the rock, the stone, the one that was gonna be firm and foundation. And three times after he was told he was gonna do it, three times he said, I'm not the stone, I deny it. I deny you. I deny you. I think Peter is wrestling with this. And I think you see it 
from him going fishing instead of going doing what Jesus told him to do because Peter wasn't one to balk on stuff. He actually usually jumped out ahead of things. And I think you see it with him putting on that outer garment. And here's why. There's like three times the outer garment in this kind of function is mentioned, either being put on or taken off. But there's another time where it's mentioned in that same chapter of John chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 3 through 4. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew, remember that, that, that God had put all, the, all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He took off his outer garment to do something. What he took off his outer garment to do was to wash the feet of the disciples. Do you know how odd this was? Probably even more odd than somebody putting clothes on to jump in the water. But I love the beginning of that. Key phrase, Jesus knew so. Jesus knew who he was, so he was comfortable enough and complete in himself enough to go, I will get vulnerable in front of these men, and I will do what only a servant is supposed to do, not a rabbi, not a teacher, and I will get down and I will serve them. You see, Jesus was complete enough in who he was that he was willing to take off his cloak to serve. I wonder, I wonder if Peter didn't feel like he was worthy enough after denying Christ to take off a robe and to serve in the way that Jesus had just told him to serve, which was go out and tell people about him. I wonder if he put that cloak on symbolically to say, I'm about to be in front of the one that I care about and Jesus that I appreciate and I'm so glad to see, but I still need to cover up the parts that I feel broken, the ways that I've failed him. Have you ever been there? You ever felt like you've done something too much that you're like, God, I, I can't recover from this? God, I've, I've, I've denied you in this way. God, I haven't been the father you've called me to be. I haven't been the mom you've called me to be. I haven't been that friend. God, my mouth has been out of control, Father. God, that addiction has me, and I'm in a cycle, and I, I get good, but man, I fall right back into that. God, am I worthy of what you have for me? Can I even do what you have for me? I think Peter is wrestling with that whole idea of what is going on. And then we pick up and we read what happens because I love what's about to happen. He, Jesus did this external thing to try to bring some completeness to them. But now he's about to do something extremely internal just with Peter to try to help him be complete on the inside. John chapter 21, picking up in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, there's some different thoughts um, from, from people about the these he's referring to. I think in the context of what we're going to see through this whole thing and what a lot of people have kind of landed at is that he's referring to the other disciples like, Peter, do you love me more than these other guys? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, and tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time. Remember, three is completion. Just take a little note. Three times Peter denied him. Now Jesus is asking him a question three times to restore him. 
So uh, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter's just like, man, why do you keep asking me this? And Jesus said to him, or Peter said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself or dressed yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird or dress you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. The death that Peter had to glorify God at the end of his life was crucifixion. So he stretched out his hands. He was crucified upside down. He was dressed by other people and he was taken somewhere that he would have never gone on his own. What I love about the fact that Jesus three times said this to kind of combat the thoughts possibly going on and probably going on in Peter's head about three times denying him is that Jesus was ultimately trying to get him complete on the inside. And the same thing that Jesus is doing with Peter, I think God wants to do and is the reason why he wants to complete us. What I think God understands is that he wants to do a healing work in us so that we will let him work through us. God is interested in doing a healing work in you and I so that we'll finally say, God, all right, I'm complete in that area. Now I'm willing to do what you want me to do. I thought it was interesting that outside of the three times and, and Jesus redeeming those moments and that denial for Peter, I thought it was interesting, this idea of love. I kind of got wrapped up in the word love there. And the reason why I did is because I knew in the English language, we just have one word, love. I mean, if you might be like my friend, my boy, and I might say, man, I love you, like a kind of just a friendly kind of love. Or it might be my wife, and I'm like, oh, I love you, and that's a different kind of love. We have all these different loves, but we just say love. The beautiful thing about a lot of their languages is they do way better than the English language does. They have different words that mean different things in a similar context. So... There are different words in the Greek that mean love than just one word. So I began to look to see which words Jesus used and which words Peter used. Jesus, the first two times he said, Peter, do you love me? He used a specific word. He actually used the verb form of the word agape. So the, the Greek word technically is agapeo. Now what that means is that form of agape love, that unconditional love, is more of a mindset. It's an understanding. It's in more in our head. It's like, man, I agape you. I know that I love you. I know I'll do anything for you. I have this attitude towards loving you. Agape is when we actually live and walk that attitude out. It actually is the action part of what we've already thought towards someone. So Jesus is saying, Peter, do you have an attitude towards loving me? Like, do you have a mindset that you love me? But do you know Peter never responds with that same word love that Jesus used? Peter actually says every time the version of love he uses is the word filio. It's where we get words like Philadelphia. It's that brotherly love simply stated. But filio is actually more of a heart connection. It's that, man, I have this heart towards you and this affinity towards you that I just want to be with you because I love you that much in that way. Do you know the last time Jesus asked him, did he love him? 
he actually switched and used the word that Peter was using. And he said, Peter, do you filio me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I filio you. And I think what Jesus was trying to do is to remind Peter of that thing that had already been revealed in him, in a deep in his heart, deep down in who Peter was, he was letting Peter know, Peter, you have loved me so much you're willing to fight for me. Don't let a simple situation or circumstance to kill what the truth is deep down inside, and I need to complete this work in you because I need you to get back to that place where you say, I love you, and I'm gonna go and do anything for you. Let's finish out this chapter, verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. So he saw John following behind them, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? I mean, surely he loves you more than I do. I mean, he's laid in your bosom. I haven't done that. He loves you. Jesus said to him, and I love how Jesus responds to us in moments like this. If I will that this man, that John, remain till I come the second time and come back, what is that to you? You, just follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. That's how rumors get started. So rumors aren't just today. They had rumors back in Bible time. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remained till I come, what is that to you? I love this picture as Jesus is trying to complete Peter internally and trying to get him to do the things he was called to do, trying to get him to operate out of that love that he knew was still there, but he was a little unsure if he was worthy enough to walk it out. I love that it's Peter still trying to work it out. He looks back and is like, come on, man, that guy. I know I feel ill you, but that guy probably some other kind of love. Like he really, like y'all are tight. And I love Jesus' response. Peter, you're never going to be complete by comparing yourself to somebody else. Why are you comparing yourself to John? If I want to do something totally different, if I want John to live until I come back the second time, what does it matter to you, man? You are Peter. You are Cephas. You are the stone. I have something in store for you, but I need you to be complete and walk it out. When I read this, what I thought to myself was, when we struggle with God's will, he simply asks if we are willing to follow his ways. When we are struggling with God's will, God, is this really where you want me to be? God, what is my purpose? God, what are my gifts? God, is this the person you want me to be with? God, are these the relationships I'm supposed to be around? God, is, I've been coming to this church a little bit. Is this where you want me to plant and get involved? God, what is your will for my life right now? If we're struggling with that, then God is simply saying, will you follow my ways? Are you still willing to follow me? Even if you don't know everything, even if everything's not crystal clear, even if you don't know the end result, are you still willing to follow me? I think the reason he says that, because that was the first thing he said when he talked to the disciples was follow me. And now he's completing that circle and saying, remember, it started with you following me. Remember what you saw and what I revealed to you when you just followed me? That's all I'm asking you to do again. Just follow me. Because now you're going to be in a new season and I'm going to show you new things and you're going to see my will 
when you follow me. When we go after him, that's when we will discover what his will for, what his will is for us in that season of our life. If you will, stand to your feet with me. And as you stand, if you would just close your eyes, I just want you to take a moment. And I just want you to self-reflect. I want you to look within yourself. Do you ever feel like things aren't complete in your life? Do you ever struggle? Do you ever wrestle? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever get upset? Do you ever have battles internally? In the midst of all those questions, have you really ever given your life to God? Have you really ever done what John talked about and said, you know what? Jesus died for me and the greatest thing he said on the cross was it is finished, meaning that he did a complete work so that we could be made complete. And I'm here to tell you from my own personal relationship with God and choosing it later in life, I'm here to tell you that I maybe would have had some good things going on in life, but man, I never would have understood how I could be complete without God being there. If you're here and you don't have a relationship Today's the day. God wants you to be complete in him. And if that's you and you feel like he's talking to you right now and you haven't made that decision, I want you to respond to him. Just lift your hand up and say, God, I want to be made complete today. I see your hand in the back, sir. Anybody else? Raise your hand. I see your hands over here. Just shoot it up and put it back down. I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. I see your hand, sir. Now, maybe we have that relationship, but we all know there's so many avenues of life and God is constantly saying, I want you to be complete in that area. I want you to be complete in that area. Was there an area that stood out to you today you feel like God was speaking to you? Remember at the beginning, we said, God, will you talk to me? And I know he was speaking. So if there's an area you feel like, God, I just, I recognize it and I need to be complete. Thank you for reminding me. If that's you, just lift your hand up and say, God, I heard you, I heard you mention that to me. Thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. I see your hands going up all over. I'm going to say a prayer. I want you to repeat this loud after me. Say it loud where you can hear yourself. Say, God, I love you. And I thank you because you chose to send your son to live, to die, and to be raised for me. That is a picture of completeness. I know I can only be complete if I'm connected to you in a relationship. So find those areas. Remind me who you are and complete me. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all give a hand clap. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.